0: You're listening to the Art of Move podcast, hosted by Dr. William Raybar and Anthony Manuel, where we attempt to create a grand unified theory of human movement, biomechanics, and training. If you enjoy these episodes, you can watch them streamed live on nofilter.net, where you can interact directly and have all your questions answered in real time. Five, four, three, two... And one, this is episode twenty-seven of the Art of Move podcast with myself, Anthony Manuel, my good friend Dr. William Raybar. We're out here in the Canadian Rockies trying to find the truth behind human biomechanics and movement in general. Um, Episode twenty-seven is going to be a little bit of a mishmash of multiple topics. Um, It's cool because my Instagram has kind of started to get a little bit more attention, and and I'm getting a lot of DMs with a lot of cool questions. Uh, So I actually have more sort of community conversation to address as well as, uh, you know, the topics that Will and I are just talking about on a regular basis and diving into ourselves, right? So we're going to talk about a few different cool ideas. Um, I think the core topic today is going to be the spinal engine. We've had episodes on the spinal engine before, so if you don't know what the spinal engine is, this is going to be less of an episode to kind of talk about what the spinal engine actually is and is going to be more uh, about how, like how, what what the fitness industry is doing in terms of recognition or rather lack thereof of the spinal engine they're not really recognizing the spinal engine as a thing just as a quick recap because this isn't this isn't an episode to explain what the spinal engine is but but just so that you have a working understanding spinal engine in the simplest definition to me anyway is the idea that the spine is the primary driver of locomotion it's the the core of of how we move it's it's the the center of generating energy and movement in our body it's this idea that we are supposed to undulate our spine not keep it as a stiff passive column will is there any other working definition sort of prerequisite things that people should come into this episode knowing about the spinal engine other than
1: that uh no that's pretty much it it's uh the two thoughts behind it are either the spine is a passive column and that's what's been used throat fitness throat uh, you know physiotherapy almost every uh, theory out there was that the spine is a passive column the legs are doing the work and the spine is to be kept rigid um, and that's how you transfer power the best right so spinal engines really the the difference is you move your spine from side to side and as a result of that side-to- side motion you have a coupling of the vertebrae turning okay that's key and that that Lateral bend in the turn of the spine indicates that you should be turning at the hips as well and counter-rotating at the shoulders. Hmm. So um, they're really very, very different. One spine's a passive column. The other one spine is supposed to undulate back forth and rotate. We can get into the details, but that's pretty much it.
0: Yeah. And and again, what I I said, I think you cut out for a second there. Um, I was just mentioning this isn't going to be an episode describing what it is as much as talking about why the fitness industry as a whole has such a hard time recognizing the spinal engine. And if you want to talk about the differences in terms of how trainers and and strength trainers specifically will see sprint uh, power, for example, someone who works with the spinal engine is going to emphasize uh, fascial elasticity, using stored energy from the elastic quality of your tissues, using this rebounding energy, using uh, efficiency of movement to generate more power, versus if your spine is a passive column, your power has to come from the, the raw output of your muscular contraction, right? So it's it's the, the, the capacity for your muscles to produce force with your spine as a passive column is gonna be the training focus Versus if you acknowledge the spinal engine, you want to become as efficient in your movement, as elastic within your sling systems. There's a totally different training focus that happens when you, when you adopt the spinal engine as your working model for movement. And when you do that, it makes a lot of the power training and strength training and stuff in the, that's very prevalent. Like a lot of the sacred cows in the strength training industry, they become borderline irrelevant, if not completely irrelevant and even harmful. Right. So, so what do you, what, uh, I know you have some hot takes on that.
1: Yeah. You know what? That was a great way to put it. Um, I don't think I could have put it better myself. It is about undulating your spine back and forth using the waves of energy. That's where, you know, guys like Weck Method go to come in and they're like, you're going to use, uh, a pressure wave of energy, hips to, uh, ribs, basically. And the connection between those two is very, very important. Okay, and it must come with a lateral bend. Right now, the fitness industry I see is I'm starting to recognize that the spine shouldn't be rigid. But the application that is happening that I see is to bend it forward or backwards, right? To um, maximize the range of motion that you can bend forward, let's say a Jefferson curl, or uh, something along those lines, right? Or, you know, back bridges, or, uh, I saw ATG doing a side lunge on a, you know, one of those benches, back extension machines where you go to your maximum on one side, try to lengthen out and strengthen the tissue. Exactly, side bending, bending, right? So those are all linear models. Those are all linear movements. The movement is actually a smooth figure eight motion because you're moving at the same time. The spinal engine is for movement, not for standing still. Okay, so the the difference really is, you can have your spine as a passive column if you're standing still and lifting heavy weight. But as soon as you start moving, you want that spine to be able to wave back and forth. Think like a smooth fish, but really you'll see this on any mammal. If you look at a dog or a tiger straight on and he's walking towards you, it'll be a smooth side to side motion. It'll also be up and down, right? Because that's how their anatomy is. You want your spine to be silky smooth like that to be able to easily move back and forth and the tensions and compressions you get from the elasticity of your tissues is really where you gain energy, okay? So we're actually designed to move back and forth and use the energy waves created by the tissues to help you propel forward. Again, we've ducked a whole episode on this, so I could unpack it a little bit more, but really the the industry's not recognizing the side to side motion and the infinity pattern as being uh even there it's it's kind of well, weird i
0: i think it's even more it's more nuanced than just a side to side motion right when you're talking about an infinity pattern most people have a hard time visualizing it because it's not just a side to side infinity pattern you can do this side bend and make an infinity pattern with a side bend a little bit but there's almost like a like you're you're like i find when i start practicing this rotary movement through my spine and i've been i've been practicing it a lot with roping with locomotion drills and i've been freeing up a lot of the spine with some of the myofascial release techniques that you showed me up, up and down my spinal column um when i'm when i'm moving into this i find there's like a uh you know i guess go, a go to practitioner would call it a gyroscopic motion where i'm not just moving side to side but i'm also kind of waving front to back. There's this, like, if you can watch, we, we record these live on, on no filter network. You can see my shoulders moving front to back, almost like you're rowing a little bit, but your whole spine will undulate in the spiraling pattern.
1: Here's so the it's key. Not, it's
0: not just side to side. Cause, Cause if it was just side to side, those side bends from ATG would be really, really useful, right? Like you would increase the range of motion in that, in that side plane, and you'd be able to kind of move side to side a little bit more freely and have strength in there, but it's it's a rotary pattern, I
1: find. The key is your, your body is looking for balance. The best way to balance is to have your head directly over your foot as you're walking. As you start running and, and cutting, it might get a little bit more nuanced where your head moves a little bit beyond your foot, but in general, head over foot, you will be in balance at that exact second, okay? at that exact moment in time when your head is over your foot. So your spine has to be able to adapt to that and move side to side. You'll see some of the best athletes in the world walk like this. People think they're trying to show off and and look really good, but they might just have a natural sway side to side because that is your balanced step. That's the key. And in order to achieve this, you have to let your thoracic spine go a little bit, okay? And your head is also a gyroscope in itself. So your head not may not move as much as your thoracic spine. So there's really a bunch of motions going on. Okay. And um, basically you're moving your spine to the side just a little bit and that's pulling the tissues tight on one side. And that's where your thoracolumbar fascia, the fascia at your, the bottom of your back will pull tight and it slings you over to the other side. Okay. And it's a dance of tension and compression at the back, at that really, really tight fascia in the back, and you're just letting your spine move from side to side. Now, a lot of people have been trained out of this. Um, I mean, being in school for eight hours a day, sitting at your desk all day, people are gonna get rigid, whether you're training it or not, right? So, humans in general, everyone's gone to school for, you know, 15 years, Everyone in general has been trained out of this. If you watch indigenous who haven't been touched by Western culture or some lucky people who are just genetically gifted can still move like this, it looks great. And that's how I design my motions now is to use that pressure wave back and forth and just let it go. One, I have less tension in my thoracic spine, in my... It's fine in general because I can let it go. I don't build up tension during the day. And two, I'm always in balance, so my movement has improved or did improve when I figured this out like this. And I have to give credit to David Weck, who was the first person who really led me on to this. Uh, functional patterns, I saw them doing it and I saw them talking about it, but I didn't really get it because he wasn't explaining it clearly. Where David Weck is just like, here's a line, you gotta have your head over your foot or you're not balanced, period.
0: And, you know, I think functional patterns does dive quite a bit into that. They talk about a lot about these sling systems and these fashion lines. Um, but you you almost have to go into the education of it. Like you're not going to see it on their Instagram page or like a YouTube channel. He's not going to explain these high level concepts because, uh, you know, reasonably he wants people to pay you for that. Right. Um, or pay him for that to learn that stuff. Um, That said, it's like, when we're talking about efficiency, like, you know, guys like David Weck, uh, organizations like Goda, they're talking about the spinal engine, they're talking about efficiency of movement and this transference of energy. When you're talking about, you know, one side of your back extending and and creating this elastic tension and then bouncing back and creating compression on the other side, this this is what we were talking about when we say efficiency of movement, because that elastic energy does not require an active contraction of, you don't have to actively flex your muscles to produce this force. This is an elastic force that uses less energy in your body to produce movement, right? So when you're running, you can become that much more efficient if you're, if you're taking advantage of this elastic recoil back and forth. And, it, and because it's bilateral, because it's on both sides, you can just literally bounce this energy back and forth. That's why we talk about with that pivot system of the foot, we have the you know we have those few episodes on the foot. We talk about that energy transfer in the curve, creating again a spiral pattern passing back and forth between the two feet. It's this passing back and forth, this bilateral exchange of energy that doesn't require your body to expend energy or or forcibly contract muscles. It's this it's the force that your body is naturally designed to produce on its own. It's the, you know it's the force of the body's wisdom. Just to turn that into a totally that
1: was (laughs) for sure. That was a great way to put it. And uh, I really, really got what how to use the force, the um, spinal engine, when I got into GOTA and understood how to use the feet properly. Okay. So, first I got into the WEC method and I started doing the ropes. And uh, if anyone uh, wants to learn the spinal engine, get a rope and start just doing a basic underhand figure eight pattern. That would be the easiest way to do it. Lots of tutorials online for that. But I didn't really, really understand it until I got GOTA's pressure wave from the lower body, getting the inside ankle bone high and cornering my hip. Okay, I, I thought linear for the longest time because that's what we were taught at school. That's the best science out there, is cadaver linear science. GOTA is correct, that's what it is. They're cutting things down into components, looking at the components and not seeing the whole pressure wave, okay? So they, the linear model will never understand the uh, spinal engine in its fullest because at a fundamental level, they believe the column, the spine to be a passive column. Mm. And I think this is a flaw in, in the whole system. Somebody contacted me the other day on Instagram and asked me what my reading list would be, right? and. And I was thinking about it, and I'm like, really, the first thing someone has to learn is the spinal engine. It is the core of where people are going wrong in terms of movement. Because if you don't understand that the spine has to move back and forth, you're going to have a lot of trouble. You're going to waste a lot of time training that anti rotation uh, stability type of training because it's everywhere. Everybody's doing it. Okay. So, um, and most people right now are starting to see that it's not exactly that. So it's going into being able to uh, flex as much as you can and being able to side bend as much as you can. It's not that. It's catching energy from side to side in a smooth motion.
0: <clears throat> yeah, and that that smooth uh, again, the, the 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 smooth quality of this uh, movement pattern or this these biomechanics. I mean this is this is something that's very like fairly new to me i've always watched i remember being like mesmerized by say ito portal when i first saw him right like like most people who who watch ito portal move around for the first time he's moving and he's transferring his energy super efficiently and he's rolling off the edge of his hand and doing these capoeira moves um and i was like wow that's like really smooth transitional movements uh, compared to what I had been doing, which was like super hyper rigid deadlifting, powerlifting uh, movements or or power-based movements with a barbell or moving really, really quick in a single plane for like a short amount of time. I, you know, I was very, very smooth at moving a bar from the ground to my hips, <laughs> like, very, like super smooth at it. But, you know, trying to coordinate uh, any movement outside of the frontal or the sagittal plane was very, very difficult for me. It was always, I mean, tying my shoes was a rigid endeavor for me for a long time. Um, the smooth, qual- like when, when you're trying to qualify what smooth movement is, how would you qualify smooth movement? Because to me, it's it's just an efficient transfer of energy.
1: It is, um, well, you have to be balanced with every step and you have to transfer the uh, balance from step to step. So for me, running is more of a coordinated effort versus a power effort. For the first half an hour, I'm trying to coordinate where my the parts of my body are going. And I'm trying to lead the dance by feeling those coordinations. I start with the feet and the hands, and then I'll work my way up and, and feel different parts of my body and try to coordinate it as efficiently as possible so that my running becomes ultra efficient. And if I want to turn up the engine from there, I can go ahead and do so, right? But it's not my primary goal anymore. It's to be as smooth as possible. now. To describe the feeling, it's really as soon as I land, my head is over my foot. I'm ready to come down, like I'm bent towards the side that I'm about to step on, okay? So my foot that I'm about to step, my upper body is bent just slightly enough so my head is over my foot. Then as I land, I try to catch that energy in a smooth pattern, okay? I can almost feel my elbow swooping in as I come down because my ribs are, are going the other direction and my elbow is going the same way and then I catch myself on the other side same thing head over foot bent towards that side and I catch that energy and I send it the other way and I'm making sure my hip pivots just slightly an overhand motion when I finish my run my heel will go away I kept my inside ankle bone high I landed in that bow and that is really the pressure wave from side to side Okay, so I'm I try to be as smooth as I can between all those motions um, yeah like uh you won't be smooth if you don't practice it it's very much a neurological thing yeah. like I was talking about yesterday we were we were running a little bit and I was like this is just like squatting the analogy is just like squatting it's it's very hard to squat well multiple days in a row if you're a high level you'll know that you need to um really think about what you're doing, your depth, your speed, yeah. uh, how tight you're feeling that day. People will recognize that. And that is 1 as neurologically demanding as running. There's way more going on. So it's the same mentality, you're perfecting it, except that with running, there's way more variables. And um, it, it's more of a natural type of motion and squatting is more a specialized type of motion.
0: Yeah, and, and like when you're, you know, with The the squat analogy, the way I think about it, is squatting certain weights becomes really neurologically demanding, right? You can feel nervous system burnout if you're lifting at close to your one rep max all the time, unless you're Bulgarian, apparently. Um, But the whole thing is like, you can squat with perfect form, at say 135, and then you have to like focus on keeping your your body tense at 225, and then when you get to those three plates, that's when you have to really hyper-focus on keeping your form down, and the closer and closer you get to your one rep max, the more you're at risk for technique breakdown. The, the running equivalent of that, for me, is if you're keeping technique and structure super efficient at like, you know, a, like maybe a four and a half mile per hour jog, but maybe you start to break down at five and a half miles per hour, right? Like you start, jog, you start picking up the pace a little bit more and you start to lose that, that sort of bowing action in your leg and your ankles start to call or your arch and your foot starts to collapse a little bit. The faster you start to, if you break out from a jog to a sprint, that level of demand and output from your body is going to be neurologically demanding and you're going to be more at risk for technique breakdown. It's like, basically you're getting closer to your, quote, one rep max neurological demand on your body, right? So you'll have a threshold in which your technique and your structure will start to break down if you haven't trained it, which I think is why, you know, go to a lot of go to training ends up being training to keep your inside ankle bone high. It's for, you know, like coating into your body to hold a bow under stressful conditions. They do a lot of sled pushing. They do a lot of, holding these bow positions against a wall and learning how to corner them properly, how to keep your inside ankle bone high as you're doing cornering. Uh, it's a lot of locomotive drills and it's the ability to maintain these positions, these joint angles, and, and be able to create these pressure waves, these efficient pressure waves under stressful conditions. I think that's the, the difference, right? For, for uh, a lot of strength training, it's how do you produce more force, period. But with uh, with something like a Goda or you know, I'm not, I, I haven't, I haven't explicitly done Weck method, but I know they do a lot of training where every step is a rep. It's it's how do you create consistent structural stability to support these efficient movements to support this coordination of movement.
1: Um, looking back at my running about two years ago, when I was exclusively doing Weck method, I was. As soon as I got that cue of head over foot, my running improved. I felt way more smooth. Everything was going great. It felt like fun to run again. Because once you get it, you're on balance. You can start hopping over things. You can start, you know, your efficiency from side to side is amazing. I could spin at full speed. I, can, I could do things like that because I was understanding how to keep my balance at a faster pace. It wasn't until I got the go to footwork that it really all came together because the inside ankle bone high is the level up. Uh, I think Adrian the other day said it correctly. He was talking about uh, inside ankle bone high being on the proper part of your foot and understanding how go to does the balance from the bottom up. That is the level up for most people who rope, but it's also the level up for most runners. You can run the other way. If I look back two years ago, my inside ankle bone was going low on the right. Okay, so I have had a lot of injuries there. Um, I didn't think it was as ad big a deal as I do now. Like I, I try to not let it happen. However, uh, when I was running yesterday, the ground is uneven. It's, you know, ice over here on the trail. Yeah. Yeah. So you have to be extra vigilant. And certain times, you know, when I hit uneven terrain, my ankle bone's letting go. That's fine because I'm trying to level up, right? And seeing those things, allows me to know when I'm breaking down, okay? So uh, filming yourself every once in a while, watching yourself run is a very, very good idea.
0: And, you know, like the, the, the importance of it is hard to explain unless you've experienced it. I have a friend who has had major ankle and knee issues for, I don't know, probably three or four years at this point. it's stopped him from doing a lot of physical activity. He's thrown all kinds of stuff at it. And I just remember, like, I visited him, uh, it must have been probably September or late August, and, you know, still big, big swollen ankle. And, and finally, I was like, hey, man, do you want to try this to stuff? Do you want to, like, I'll, I'll show you a few movements, and you can try them out. And he, he was doing them for four days, and I don't know if you can see, but, like, he sent me pictures. This is his left ankle, there's no swelling whatsoever. And that's his right ankle, it looks almost identical. You can see his, his, uh, his inside ankle bone is starting to climb a little bit. But he yeah. sends me he sends me a, a voice message and he's like, I've been doing physio for four years and like I haven't been able to get the swelling down. I've done this for four days. I've kept my inside ankle bone high. I've been doing some of these calf exercises to keep it there and I've been doing some of these movements to kind of code my body back into these patterns. And in four days, my ankle swelling is down and I can actually access here. I'll I'll just play the voice message so that you can kind of hear it. More exciting developments. My left ankle, which is the first picture, is usually a lot more swollen, a lot more janky, a lot more difficult to maneuver, but look at them. They are so much more fucking similar. It's amazing. From like four days of consistently doing this stuff it is working the muscles in ways that haven't been worked before to help correct the injuries. And that's, 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 you know, like that's, that's again, three years of physio doing all kinds of other stuff for it. And in four days, he applies these principles. And and again, what I think is happening is he's actually transferring his energy efficiently and he's not loading his joints in a way that don't want to be loaded. The inflammation is going away.
1: That's amazing. And it's really like, that's, what Gota talks about is stopping the bleeding. It's true. It's like, if you don't understand how to get your ankle bone up, and as a professional, I didn't really understand how important that cue was. It's really um, stopping you from collapsing and and letting those tissues just come down on each other. So every step, he's sandwiching his tissues because he probably didn't have control there. And now that he's thought about it, he was probably lucky enough that it was more of a neurological uh cue than a mechanical failure, right? So in someone like that who just understands immediately, oh, I just have to climb this up a little bit and it won't be pinching tissue anymore, amazing. Now I'm not swelling every day. Right. So that's that's great stuff.
0: And and what I like about him as an example too, um you know he, he's not a super fit person. He doesn't have a great history of, of training. Um, he would always injure himself whenever he tried weightlifting. So he mostly stayed out of the gym. A lot of his stuff is just walking. Um, he did, he, he's an actor. So he would do like some acting and some you know, physical embodiment stuff with acting, but he, he's not, he's not athletic at all, right? Like he doesn't, he doesn't participate in sports uh, and his body is, you know, riddled with the the same dysfunctions of modern Western culture. So he, he was kind of a, a blank slate you know, when I'm trying to apply some of these concepts, I'm trying to actively reverse uh, tensions in my body that are created from improper training in, uh, and training in improper alignment, building tension and building a dysfunctional muscle is what I'm starting to see it as in different places in my body um based on you know tr- like my, my goals of getting freaking jacked and super strong so i'm i'm like i'm coming from a different angle where i'm trying to decompress and i'm trying to release he's building tension and building strength where he has he's never done any of it and his body is like he's like man i feel my glutes and my ass like i've never felt it like i've 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 tra- he, you know he would try to do like the at home booty building workouts where he's doing like the the hip thrusts into the air and stuff and he's never been able to feel his glutes and I got him to do like, you know, some basic child rockers, some SASA lifts and and some some basic stuff. And it's just that he's putting his joint angles in the right place, which is forcing his body to produce tension in the right in the right locations, right? And this is the whole thing is like when you focus on biomechanics and you focus on and stacking your joints and creating the right joint angles, you create tension in the right places while staying relaxed in other places. But you're not supposed to be over, you know, overly tense. You're not supposed to have these neurological holding patterns of like neurotic
1: tension. That's, it's very true. And uh, a lot of that is promoted by lifting, not like lifting in itself is really a, a specialized activity, but it's looked upon by most people as the thing to do to keep yourself healthy. It's specialized in that you have to keep yourself rigid as you do it. So you're going to mold that way eventually. And the thing is, most people are already there. Okay. Some people aren't but most people are. You're already too rigid in your movement and you don't need to add on to that. You need to get back to the originally how you would do it if it was natural. Side to side motions, letting elasticity, uh, getting reps in that motion. The more reps you do with the spinal engine, the better you will be at it and the more you will adapt to it. Okay, so it's getting back to it that's the key. If you keep adding things that are gonna make you stiff and rigid, then you're going to get stiff and rigid. If you do, let's say, you know, lengthening exercises to lengthen out that stiffness, you're still not getting the coordinated movements and the elasticity that you're gonna be getting from using the spinal engine. And that's what I love about GoToWeck method, you know, functional pattern stuff, is that it's thinking along those lines to get those tensions and compressions in your body to be smooth as possible to be able to move using the elasticity of your body versus just rigidity and power.
0: Yeah, and and this is like, you know, this is thinking in biological terms of movement, right? You're not just thinking in terms of like what, how can, like we know, we understand how the body will adapt to, to specific stimulus, right? And that's the basis for a lot of training. It's like, okay, I want this result. I want big muscles and I know that if I train specifically and I fatigue the muscle and I work to failure, or I exceed the, the 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 weight that's moved by this muscle, then according to the said principle, it will grow, right? And that's and we sort of we have this external input, and we're looking at this body that we that we live in, and we we are, we are our bodies, you know, um, and we look at it as this mechanism that we can throw inputs at so that it'll respond the way that we want to. I find that. Uh, like functional patterns, GOTA. I don't know a ton of WEC method stuff, right? But I, I feel like it's it's looking at the biological basis for movement. It's either looking at how we evolve to move or it's observing movement as it occurs in nature. A lot of GOTA principles were derived from observing, like you said, Indigenous cultures that were untouched by uh, western society and its trappings it, they look at babies fresh out of the womb and how they are inclined to move how they like how intuitively they're trying to locomote their body there is a lot of that spinal movement there is that bowing and cornering action that they teach they're observing nature and this idea of trying to align yourself to nature is something that i'm playing with a lot because in in a lot of my training pursuits it was sort of trying to impose my will on my own body and, and, and not even necessarily my will it was sort of like a superficial will created by what I thought would benefit my social perception it was it was how, how can I generate status through imposing you know these certain stimuli on my on my body I want to have you know I want to be stronger I want to have the bigger muscle I want to look more jacked and I want to communicate higher social status. So I'm going to impose, you know, and, 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 that it's not just the training stimulus. It was the nutritional stimulus too. It would be like the, the high stimulant pre-workouts. It was the, you know, the fat burners. It was starving myself, like being in a crazy calorie deficit or fasting for long periods of time so that I could be, you know, dick skin ripped. It was, you know, it was all this crazy stuff that I was doing, trying to impose my will. Sorry for that. Um, but, uh. Now, the mentality of there is actually an objective reality that I can align myself to. And if I do that, I'm actually going to experience way more health, freedom, less pain, more enjoyment and more alignment to the world. It's at at large. Right. And it's again, I'm I'm cautious of using hippie language because it turns a lot of people off. I am at heart a huge hippie. I've studied more more like, you know, Eastern philosophy and, and had my own. You know, journey in in spirituality and feeling at one with nature and one with the universe, man. But like there there is something to be said for the fact that you are a human being and human beings are a part of nature. And as a part of nature, there are objective ways that we are aligned to natural law. And if we can align our training and our movement practices and our nutrition practices to align with natural law and to align with our biology, then we're gonna just have a better time overall.
1: Absolutely. There's there's a couple points there. One, uh, what you said earlier about you know making your muscles bigger and all that, that is a specific input that you're you're getting, and we know how to do it. Humans know how to get bigger muscles. That's but it doesn't get you better movement. That's the thing. It it won't. So if you want better movement that's more efficient, that won't wear you down, that you can keep for life. I think that is a new goal to go with. I think that is the way to go. If that's what you want, a healthy body for the rest of your life that you can actually move better as you age. Okay. Like you, you're going to be working balance. You're going to be working the elasticity of your tissues versus just getting the muscle bigger that ends at some point. It, it makes you rigid and you'll be old and rigid and not able to switch over and do, um, you know, more elasticity training so the younger you get into it the better but it's more of a um i don't know what the saying is but you know you you learn when you're older what you should have learned when you were younger it's like if you can start being smooth with your movement as you're young and let go a little bit of the just aesthetic bigger uh look then you'll get a lot out of it and you can do a little bit of that too right like you can get big muscles nothing wrong with that however I urge you to also understand that movement is something you can build just like your muscles. The second thing was talking about um, nature. The best way to be in nature is to actually go out in nature. Like, I'm fortunate to live in the mountains here. I I go out, no technology, shirt off, um, barefoot, walking in the mountains through the forest. Like that, natural rivers, the whole deal, wild animals. That is actually being in nature, and that brings you back to to center. Actually, having to go out and do those things. Um, not everyone has, you know, is living in a mountain town or anything like that. What I see from a lot of people is going to the gym barefoot, or you know, um, doing things that are kind of mimicking nature in the gym. No, you have to go out in nature and actually experience. Like, go out barefoot if you're gonna go out. In, barefoot in the gym try it in nature you will learn a lot more with your step so that's just an insight i had in, in kind of what i see
0: well i mean it, a lot of modern life requires you like when you're talking about mimicking nature while i'm filming this i have this uh this sun lamp because i'm in yeah. a room with no windows like my office has no windows in my home and uh you know much to my chagrin but I, you know, I make a point of going outside every day for an hour or two, at least minimum, you know, I try, I try, I'm, I'm my standard now, since we talked last is two hours outside minimum. Uh, I don't always manage to do that. Um, but I have a sun lamp to at least emulate the spectrum of light that I would see if I was outside all day, right? So, so instead of just having like an LED overhead, I'm trying to create that, that similar stimulus, and it's not going to be the same as the sun, period, you know, I'm not going to get that same UV, there's no way, uh, you know, some lamp that I'm plugging into my wall is going to emulate the same effect of, you know, at most it's going to, uh, you know, just mitigate the effects of seasonal effectiveness disorder mildly, you know, Um, but I'm still trying to get outside as much as possible. I think that a lot of life in general, we we become disconnected from feeling, well, we become disconnected from feeling like a greater part of a whole and being a greater part of a whole. I mean, this is, this is somewhat philosophical, right? And it can sound really trite. It's been said over and over and over again to the point where it almost doesn't mean anything because most people can't, most people can logically wrap their heads around it, but don't experientially feel it as being part of a whole. Like I know who I am because I have other people in my life and I have relationships. Like my personality doesn't exist without relationships. The oxygen that I breathe is a result of the trees producing oxygen and the carbon dioxide that they take in is from us breathing it out. There, like, there is a yin and yang to everything and individuality, like isolated individuality does not exist like you cannot have a self without another you cannot have a human being without its environment a human being is is not it's like we don't come into the world we come out of the world right and this, this is like the language that we use like i came into the world with blah 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 it's like no no, no you you were, you were born from the world like our whole bodies are built from materials that, <laughs> that are from the earth like we eat animals that ate the plants that absorb the sunlight, it is it's it is all one unified system. And there are objective laws that rule this, this unified system. And the more that we can align to these unified laws, to these global, uh, you know, these universal principles of nature, then, you know, the healthier we, we are, the, the the more longevity we're going to experience, the more happiness we're going to experience. And I started thinking way more holistically, moving into a movement practice, versus trying again trying to force my will upon my own body with with hard training now I do want to say though with a movement practice I do think that there is something to be said for still training hard and still pushing your boundaries and still you know creating certain amounts of tension and you know like like there is an anti-aging effect to having resistance on your body it's the type of resistance that you put on your body you can align the resistance to uh to sort of be aligned to natural principles, but you still need some form of resistance. Without resistance, without um, challenge, we have no reason to adapt or to grow or evolve as, as beings. So, in terms of a, you know, in terms of your own movement practice, I know you work in terms of a lot of complexity, but do you Do you think that there's still like a pretty good import like a pretty high importance on challenging yourself and exceeding your former capacity or are you kind of moving away yeah. from that mentality a bit?
1: Uh, I'm moving away from it, it because I was so far in the other direction for a long time, like being competitive with doing it with myself, with others, the whole deal, right? So now it's more of like an individual pursuit, but yeah, I do like, it's not a one rep max that I'm going for anymore. It's more complexity in my motions, still sticking to the same principles that I talk about all the time. So a one rep max for me will be a more complex motion that I get, um, whether it be something I'm practicing in martial arts or, you know, something with the ropes or uh, being able to run faster, smoother, um, you know, things that I play with, I play with my the position of my hands as I run to be able to coordinate that. You know, I'm going to that level where mm-hmm. I, I want to know what my fingers are doing as I'm running, you know? So uh, that is more along the lines of where I'm going versus just output, output, and, uh, you know, measuring against a external variable, right? So right. Um, there's nothing wrong with lifting too. It's It's a great, fun sport. It's like football and lifting, you know, um, soccer, they're all sports and they're all fun. Like I had a great time doing gymnastics, I had a great time doing Ido Portel. I had some of the most fun moments of my life in the gym lifting, right? But yeah. I mean, I have to kind of move on because I'm getting at that age where it's, you know, I'm i am upper 30s and I need to keep my body going and having movement as my number one, movement and gait as my number one uh, variable there Uh, what I strive for, that's going to bring me a lot more uh, joy than lifting something really heavy and then being tense and in pain all the time, right? So not that everyone's in pain, but a lot of people are tense. I'd say that most lifters are very, very tense and have a hard time letting that go.
0: Well, it's not just well. I mean, lifting is literally programming tension to your nervous system. <laughs> so it's, it you know, it's, it's, it is specific, I was gonna say, it's not specifically lifters who are tense, it's like, but that's kind of literally what they're training themselves into. So um, I think a lot of people do just hold tensions throughout their body. This is, you know, one of the aha moments that I had with you, when we were doing our, um, our myofascial release stuff, when you showed me the stuff when we did our podcast episode on it, was this idea of, not needing tension in every part of my body it's this idea of like oh you know like actually not having tension having that that nice middle ground between structural stability but also the ability to completely relax a muscle that's huge because again that ability to to kind of get a little bit of slack especially into my slings will help produce that elastic force too I want to have that recoil I don't want it to be it's so stiff and rigid that I can't bend into it and, and take advantage of that sort of elastic force. And plus being tense all the time is just uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm still working through my traps, which which it were like so chronically tight that they were just rigid rocks from again deadlifting, doing Olympic lifts, doing all like basically lifting everything with my traps. Um, I even found a picture of myself doing a, a back lever on on the gymnastics rings and it looked like i was holding myself up with my traps almost it was funny um but being able to develop the skill of of actively relaxing and actively taking the tension and and creating some slack so that you have a little more give in your tissues that's a skill on its own too
1: oh that's a huge skill that's that's basically what i'm trying to master now is to be able to feel every part and know where i'm getting tension from where i can relax where i, I can I coordinate the tension from? So a lot of the things I do is like coordinative efforts throughout the body, when to relax, when to tense. And that's what you really want. You want to be tense and be able to create uh, quote unquote strength when you need it, but shut it off immediately after. Right. So um, that's kind of where I'm going with that. And like you said, I have the same problem up on the traps. I, I used to, uh shrug six seven plates with straps on you know something that i couldn't even handle with my hands just to get the jack traps and the the big neck right so uh that really i was doing that for probably over 10 years and that area still gets tense very easily when i do crawling work now uh doing animal crawls lifting up my neck in that position is very difficult Still to this day, even though I practice it all the time. So when I'm crawling, a lot of the times I'll practice trying to get tension out of that area. And that'll be my primary focus for crawling because that's what I need. It won't be my only focus, but it'll be what I primarily focus on. So um, that'll be a one rep max for me there. How much can I uh, make the tissues longer and decompress them at that area as I do a movement where my body naturally wants to tense that area? Because over and over and over again for years, I did tense that area.
0: Yeah, and, and I, I'm i still going through the same thing. A lot of my crawling work, I have to go really slow. I've actually regressed a lot of uh, crawling work because I find that I do just overcompensate with my traps and, and wing my scapula quite a bit just to hold myself up. And honestly, regressing things to the point where you can do them correctly is really hard on the ego. Like, feeling that you have the strength to do stuff, but you're doing it out of alignment or you're doing it improperly and you're activating the wrong areas and stuff. Like that's <laughs> that's extremely hard for someone who had the attitude of just like, I'm gonna blast through no matter what, right? Like that was the old attitude where it's like, oh, I have the strength to lift this, even if I, you know, I might might have to cheat just a little bit, but
1: um, well, yeah. In, in a basic bear crawl right now, like the difference is, there's what I feel internally and what you may see externally. So let's say I do a bear crawl on paper, on video, it'll look great, right? It's like, oh, that's almost a perfect bear crawl right there. But inside, I have tensions in certain places that I want to get rid of as I do that bear crawl, right? So for me, it's like, yeah, the external variable is there and it looks good but I still don't have it down. I still can't even progress past this basic bear crawl because I have tensions that I want to relax before I move on to the next level.
0: I think that's where I, why um, you know like pre movement fundamentals include not just understanding posture and not under not just understanding like how you can align yourself but once you're aligned there, being able to identify where you're holding tension unnecessarily, um, that wants to pull you out of that. Like if you if you line yourself up into perfect posture, and then relax, you can you can feel what part of your body starts tensing up to pull you back into that uh, misaligned posture, and then you can sort of release those tissues with some sort of myofascial release technique, and then apply some gentle movement afterwards to align yourself back up. That's sort of what I've started to do a little bit more is like, okay, here's my posture. What's tight as I'm holding this? If I relaxed, what part of my body pulls me back into poor posture? If I pull myself back into that poor posture with say, like I feel my psoas or my hip flexors or something, pull pull my pelvis in a certain direction or my traps pull my, or my, my anterior delts pull my shoulders forward a little bit more then. I'll release that and then I'll get back into that posture and I'll do some, you know, a little bit of movement to kind of hammer it back into
1: my nervous system. So in the office, like as a chiropractor, I work with people in pain all the time. And one of the things that I see is not understanding how much tension they're in, okay? So in general, I see this quite a bit and it almost seems like a miracle within like a couple of treatments, For some people who have that next level tension in their back but don't really understand it, just getting them to understand it by getting deep into the muscles and letting them relax gives a major, major relief. From somebody who's been like, this happens over and over and over again, people in pain for years, in like two treatments, it's switched. It's like, I'm not doing anything mechanical. Your problem was never mechanical. Your problem was you were so tense, you didn't know how to relax that area and you're over a hump where you just can't even do it yourself. So you're so tense in that area and your body's so used to keeping it clenched, it it is really like clenching, and uh, being able to relieve that clenching just for a small period and feel what that's like, then the key is to move that area gently afterwards. Mm Will allow your body to reset the tone to that area, okay? If you repeat this process, relax the area, move the area gently, Relax it, move it gently. That is how you tone down tensions in your body that are too high, okay? And targeted rolling is really the key. And I shouldn't call it rolling. Compression is the easiest method, okay? Compressing and knowing where to target by going super deep, you have to go super deep, okay? But you have to be targeted and you have to understand where the anatomy is, which I mean, that's where the professional comes in, right? or understanding the anatomy, you have to go to that length, okay? So someone who's really, really tense and a lot of people are in this category, a lot of lifters, you have to understand how to relax the tension, then move the area afterwards. Certain movements will be better than others. Go to really has this down. uh, FRC really has this down, the principle of moving that exact joint that you just released, okay? I like to do, What I used to do is relax the area. Let's say it's a low back, right? I'd relax the low back and then show somebody like a functional range conditioning type of movement where you just move your pelvis back and forth Hmm. under that lower amount of tension. But now I'm finding go to movements to be much more effective. So uh, yeah, relax the area and move the area afterwards gently your body over a period of weeks. Sometimes months will relax that tone, and that 's how you reset uh nervous system n- nervous system tension in reality
0: yeah, and when we 're talking about the spinal engine and the spine being one of the prime drivers of locomotion forward locomotion if you've spent years conditioning your body to be that rigid passive column maybe through lifting through stabilizing your midline doing literally anti-rotation training like that's a big thing in the strength and conditioning world this anti-rotation training these things you'll hold sure. like a band against like a rotational force and you'll you'll tra- you'll literally train your body out of being able to rotate and bend so if you if you spend if you've invested all this time into conditioning your nervous system to be rigid this is kind of how you start to free yourself up. We are putting together the Art of Move course where uh, you know we're gonna go very in depth in terms of how you can use myofascial release techniques to get those segments of the spine, to release those segments of the spine and to create more free movement and, and utilize the spinal engine. We're gonna actually do a detailed breakdown because we can't really do that on a podcast, right? We can't, we could can try but most people are listening to this on Spotify or they're listening to it on, on uh, iTunes or they're watching it on No Filter. By the way, guys, for the people who are watching live, feel free to ask questions in the live chat or you can hit the knock button and we can actually have a discussion in real time. You can ask questions and we can talk about other stuff. Um, but if you've spent all this time creating rigidity through your midline, developing the ability to stay relaxed, like I'm, I'm, I'm working on this for like over a year, and I've only started to make leeway in my thoracic spine. Like I've been deadlifting with poor posture, with a hyperkyphotic uh, thoracic spine for years, and I'm only just now starting to get a little bit of articulation in that T spine segment. And it's it's it has to, it has to be this almost painstaking process of teach it to relax, move it in that range. Teach to relax, move it in that range. You're reconditioning your nervous system. Your nervous system is literally holding patterns. um, And and training is just conditioning yourself to hold patterns in certain ways. That's why having a biological basis for your training, thinking about how your body is supposed to move, and, and biomechanically aligning your training to proper biomechanics will create tension in the right places without creating neurological holding patterns in the wrong places that will create rigidity and inefficiency of energy transfer?
1: Uh, That is a great way to put it, right? Like, um, if efficiency in energy transfer is really the key and you can't be efficient if you're rigid, it's just not gonna happen. With anything but straight line running, like you can get away with it if you're running straight line, okay? Um, If your external goal is a time variable, you can pack on a huge amount of muscle and and just go straight, right? Um, that works and that's what a lot of sprinters are doing and a lot of runners who, who just have to go straight. But if you want to cut run, be able to, you know, get up, down all that, there has to be a fluidity in motion. Okay. And there's an easy way to start this with, I I would say go to principles, the spinal engine and, uh, myofascial release over a period of time to be able to recondition the nervous system, to do smooth motions in uh, higher and higher complexity. Okay, so right now, you would probably be able to, like I've seen you rope and you're able to rope and and be smooth in basic patterns, but I bet that once the patterns get a little bit more complex, your spine's gonna tighten up because it's never seen that complexity before. So you literally have to introduce it to more and more complex motions and grade it, kind of like you grade uh, lifting heavy weights and getting bigger muscles, okay? It has to be done in in a sequence. And I looked at myself about two years ago when, maybe it was three years ago when I started roping, and I was trying all these twirls and, and fancy maneuvers, and I can see my core just get so rigid that I wasn't able to pull these moves off. I didn't know why. Now I'm able to twist, move, because my core is let go, and I shouldn't even say core, I'm using my spinal engine and I'm working with the tensions and relaxations of my muscle to guide my body and coordinate efforts versus just trying to power through things, okay? So that's that's really the difference there.
0: Yeah, and, and that the, the, the I think the importance of increasing complexity of movement in the, using the spinal engine over time, especially where using myself as the example, I've conditioned myself for rigidity for so many years. What's going to happen is if I have a slip or I have a fall or I have something, like my tendency is going to be to go to whatever I spent the most time inputting into my nervous system at a high threshold, right? So like, if like, if I'm slipping on ice, I'm going to get rigid, like I'm about to do a deadlift, because I think to protect myself, I have to brace my core and make my spine super rigid in a situation where I want to, you know, bend or utilize some some elastic force or or do, you know, live my life, you know, not my my life is more than just walking forward, right? It's it's more than just moving forward in a straight line, which, you know, I've, I've started to, really, really rebuild my gait. But like, if you want to be able to turn around or, or see like literally change directions and being able to work with this fluid dynamic, this fluid efficient transference of energy, then like you said, changing the patterns. It's funny because I you said it's like, oh, if you add more complex movements, I'm sure you start to get rigid. I film myself doing a basic rope flow and I'm super fluid. I got my transfer of energy, got my footwork going. But then when I turn, as soon as I do the pivot to, to turn around and switch directions, it's like I'm on <laughs> it's like I'm on a dolly or something. I'm like rigid and turning around. And then I then I relax and I go back into it. But it's learning to maintain that fluidity as I'm transferring. That's given me the best gains in terms of living my life. Right.
1: Well, I agree. And that's that's basically the complexity I train now is just that more and more complex motions being able to be in balance, right? Like that is the key. Head over foot. If at any point my head is over my foot, and I'm in balance basically, right? So um, in higher, higher speed, higher, higher complex motions, I'm making sure that happens. And I'm also using the spinal engine, my spine moving. If it's going from the right to the left, my head's headed in that direction. I have to work with that momentum and guide my body that way. I can't guide my body the opposite motion of my spine. Do you know what I mean? So it's it's yeah. really, you have to coordinate that effort. And that's really- So here's really, an interesting, yeah.
0: like I, I, I have a question. I wanna I want get your take on this. Sorry to interrupt, right. but like I, yeah, no problem. I didn't wanna lose this thought. We're talking about, the difference between in spinal engine theory we're talking about using that elastic energy uh, allowing the spine to undulate and transfer the force very efficiently where the passive column model uses force output do you think you could do something like use a sled or some other forward moving implement and work within that sort of undulating that that efficient transference of energy and build force output on top of that or is the force output training well that train you out of elasticity and will that make you more rigid even if you're um, training within that pattern
1: no there's there's definitely ways like if you were to push a sled I love sled pushing it's great you put a lot of tensions on your body and you can as long as you let your spine move from side to side every time your foot lands your head is in alignment with the foot if you're pushing a sled your head's going to be forward of your foot but you still have it in alignment you you're stopping yourself from just keeping that rigid middle head and just driving with your legs. That's what you want to avoid. However, at some point, it has to be turned into motions without weights, okay? Everybody's obsessed with the weight. Wait, I have to add weight to it. It's like, well, you have to add force to it, okay? So the weight will help you understand force, help you build tissue, but eventually you want to do it unweighted with just you, your body, yourself, and you coordinating the efforts that, you know, you you can without any external variables. The weight is just an external variable. Your body is seeing you as lifting something, you know, an external object. You're getting good at lifting external objects if that's what you're doing all the time. But you're with your body doing motions alone, okay? Whenever you're around, like in real life, unless you're a, a mover or something like that, right? But 99% of the population, you're using your own body during the day without external loads, without picking up weights off the ground. Um, So basically, yeah, you got to bring it to your own body and coordinate the efforts eventually.
0: We talked about the biological basis for how much weight we would have lifted, say, on the African savannah as hunter-gatherers, right? Like, at the most, you're killing, like, an 160-pound, like, antelope or something and and you're carrying it with someone else over your shoulder but you're not you're not squatting it for reps you're not lifting it up and down off the ground over and over and over again you're probably lifting something up and then carrying it you know and that would be the extent of the heavy weight that you're really in at least from from an indigenous culture like an early hominid perspective that would be the most weight that you would be lifting um, maybe you're wrestling with uh, with other humans and and jockeying for dominance in your social hierarchy, and there's a little bit of a you know a grappling element,
1: and you're throwing each other around.
0: But that's again, that's that's wrestling, that's grappling, that's not lifting.
1: You hit the nail on the head there because wrestling, I think, is natural. Like obviously, kids all do it, right? Like every kid wants to kind of like wrestle a little bit or get physical. Um, that's how you're learning to you know manipulate yourself. Uh, push external loads, um, but you're really just having fun wrestling around, right? So um, I think wrestling is great. I think that's a really good way to express uh, power through your body without external objects all the time. Same with boxing, right? I can outlet a lot of power doing those, using the spinal engine, using rotary force in my body. Um, and it's very, very easy on the joints, love boxing, love kickboxing, all that stuff. Right. Um, I can't remember you said something that, that, uh, I'm I, just want,
0: I just want to make another point when you were talking about wrestling, being this fun thing, I had this other thought of, um, how even like the, like someone kind of pins you and you're trying to wriggle yourself free that sort of wriggling and that undulation, like picture a kid getting tickled and they're just like, they're freaking out and they're wiggling around and they're 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 literally letting go of nervous tension in their body in the same way as you see like a gazelle that just got like wrecked by a lion, but managed to get away. It's like traumatizes whole body is stiff and it'll, it'll like shake. You can see sometimes it looks like they're having a seizure on the ground or something. Their whole body will shake out this nervous tension so that they won't hold this tense, these tense patterns in their body and they'll be able to return to their normal states. Like doing these, these patterns that, that make you undulate and shake and stuff, they, they will naturally release tensions in your body that aren't supposed to be there.
1: Yeah. Like, uh, I've, I've heard theories. I don't know this for sure for certain, but you know, shivering, uh, is a great way to release energy. Um, you know, when people are tapping their feet as they're sitting there, they're releasing nervous energy. There, That's actually a good thing. However, it's looked upon, you know, you're nervous, like in a cultural sense, right? Like it's not, normal to sit there and kind of shake yourself. So a lot of people will keep rigid and you know that builds up tension over time. I've heard a lot of those theories and, and I kind of buy into them. Um, have you ever seen trauma release exercise where people will literally shake? Um, yeah, like um, I can't remember where I saw it, but basically a lot of shakes are going on and it's releasing trauma from deep down. I don't want to get into it too much, but I've, I've seen similar things that you're talking about. Shake out the energy, right? And I actually do this as a practice. I'll make my body super rigid, try to uh, compress every muscle I can and then release it and shake as much as I can out hmm. from the head to the toe, letting everything go as loose as possible, as tight as possible, loose as possible, tight as possible, right? And that's a good way to know where your nervous tension's at and release a lot of nervous tension. Um, What you were saying before about lifting too i do think you should be an expert at lifting i do think that you should put some time in to at least be able to lift uh enough weight that you can do household things you know safely and comfortably lift a couch uh lift a you know a box spring or something like that um if you're going past that lifting 400 pounds now unless you're the biggest guy in the world you're really um specializing hyper specializing and lifting external objects off the ground in a linear plane that's what you're going to get good at and that's what you're going to adapt to but it's not what humans were adapted to do in my opinion so you're going to be losing something somewhere
0: yeah and i think um you know when you're talking about uh, like applicability of lifting i picture lifting sandbags and stuff or dragging even dragging sandbags my my partner's a firefighter and she will you know she she won't give up an element of lifting because she literally has to drag bodies you know she has to she has to lift heavy hoses and she has to move a bunch of stuff around so having work capacity there you know you have to kind of think about your life and the function for me i always want to have the ability to lift someone and carry them if i need to i had a situation once where a friend of mine we all walked out into the middle of the forest where there was this really cool lake that you could jump off a cliff into. And I had one friend, I was sitting up there, I was playing guitar for a while and she was kind of waffling on the edge. All my other friends had all jumped in and they jumped far enough. And they are like, it's okay, Jess, come on, you can you can jump off. Like, and she's just, like, I don't know. And she's, she's there for half an hour, kind of like, do I do it? Do I do it? And finally she kind of like, She did the nervous half jump, right? And she like held herself back just enough when she jumped off because she was so nervous. She didn't jump out quite far enough and she scraped her foot. (laughs) So this this was actually a feat of movement because all my friends climbed up in different parts of the cliff and we all like jerry-chained her all the way up the cliff. We we, we literally like passed her up the cliff because she couldn't climb up. Her foot was like torn right open. And I carried her 45 minutes on my back through the, she couldn't walk like, and and we were 45 minutes into like on this forest trail in the middle of the woods and we had to drive her to the hospital. So I literally took her on my back and carried her through the woods. I would love to have a level of strength and stability in my body and, and joint integrity and all this stuff that if I need to do that, I can. Right. So that's almost excessive that's 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 more than most people will like need quote unquote or most people won't find themselves in a situation where they have to carry their friends out
1: of the woods (laughs) and and there's better ways to lift than others right like um i would keep the go-to principles as i lift i would lift in a bow i would uh lift weight forwards not up and down for the most part um that's how i would approach lifting if i was going to lift however um and and again I'm an outlier. I don't really feel like I need to lift so much anymore. So um that's where I'm at, but yeah, for by all means, if you want to have a base level of strength, if you're a firefighter, if you're somebody who needs that strength, you got to do it. Like there's no other way around it, right? Like you have to adapt to what you need, so adapt to what you need. Right? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, in a big way. And and that's, you know, the the what you need thing, I think
1: most people don't think in terms
0: of what they need, because what they think they need is a jacked body to attract a partner or to get social status, right? I think that's, like, in, most people aren't thinking, like, I, I found our conversation with Adrian Vino very, very interesting. And for those who don't know, if you haven't listened to the episode, Adrian uh, was a bodybuilder, and he stopped bodybuilding more or less altogether and started doing GOTA, and he feels amazing. And and for him, it's like, again, it's, it's feeling this alignment, to his, his body's natural mechanisms and he feels great in his own body. And he kind of talked about the motivations that he had to prove other people wrong and to you know be the bodybuilder on the on the front of the page and, and talking about these motivations where he's like, you know, he's 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 gotten older now and he's like, Man, I just don't give a shit. Like, I don't care about trying to prove other people wrong. Like, I just want to feel good. I just want to be in my body and live in my body and and to to have good movements. The, the, talking to him was really enlightening because, because for me, if you were to ask me at 23 years old when I was training my hardest, probably, Anthony, why do you want to deadlift 500 pounds? I'd be like, I don't, because it's sick. Like I could because you know, because I want to. It's like because I can, you know, like I'm, I want to be strong. I wouldn't have a good answer other than like because I want to. And i wouldn't and, and if you said well why do you want to i wouldn't be able to answer you i don't know why i wanted to deadlift 500 pounds uh or even 600 pounds down the line you know like for me it was like i don't know because to flex on my friends you know i i don't really I, like i had no idea why i wanted those goals and you know now after having had shoulder surgery after you know enduring a ton of misery in terms of injuries and and putting my body through hell basically and having you know <laughs> hips so tight that I couldn't have sex and all this crazy shit that I that I put my body through in the name of just getting stronger and having a bigger deadlift and a bigger squat and a bigger bench press and a bigger overhead press and doing a bunch of muscle ups and crushing crossfit workouts like the, the, the question for me is like, what is my actual goal? Like what, like what, what do I want? And more specifically, why do I want it? And what i found is that most people's goals are socially programmed, it's just a social hypnosis.
1: Um, yeah, it, it really wasn't even that deep for me. I, I'm just like, everyone's doing squats, everyone's doing deadlifts, um, those are the lifts, according to the science even, they're, they're the, you know, what to go to, right? Uh, The question whether you should go to 90 degrees or full depth, all that, but most are in agreement that those are the way to strength train. And if you get good at those lifts, it's gonna cross over to everything. So I'm like, hey, I may as well lift as much as I can. And, you know, when you're, I'm naturally strong, so I went towards that way, right? So it's like, why not deadlift, you know, heavy, super heavy amounts, Why not squat super heavy in amounts? I'm going to be able to do everything better, but it just didn't play out like that in real life. You know, there was like a, some people would say you're probably, you were doing it too much or you were lifting too much. Yeah, probably Um, my time would have been better spent from that last like 25% I was getting from going from like a 400 pound squat to a 500 pound squat. I would have better went down to like 200 pounds and then uh, worked on other things, used that energy to work on other things, gait mechanics, uh, releasing tensions in my body, things like that, right? However, you learn these things when you're a little older, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I remember Ido Portal talking oh. about the more you specialize, the more price you have to pay. Like the the, the more, and that's that was his philosophy about, around being a movement generalist was, it's this idea that like if you if you're just deadlifting then you're going to be linear and rigid if you're just a capoeira artist then you you're going to you're going to miss out on other elements of movement and for him movement wasn't necessarily about aligning to the you know body's natural mechanics but it was about creating as much freedom to do whatever the hell your body wanted to do at any given moment he's he did a lot of progressive tissue training he did a lot of like even the shaking thing i learned from ito portal like the shaking to release tension and like how loose and limber can you can you shake your, your your muscles and how 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 relaxed can you actually get that principle was something that that i learned from him now movement generalism is an interesting concept because the movement culture quote unquote has a different mindset around movement than maybe you and i are talking about because they're talking about again creating freedom of of creative movement and movement that's more applicable to dance and f- different flow and moving around on your hands and you know they, they're not as concerned as staying in the back chain because they're doing a lot of back bending and these sort of like reverse movements but I think there is there's something to be said for recognizing that the more you specialize in one physical pursuit, the more price your body is going to pay because you again, you teach your body to behave with whatever input that you give it.
1: It's very interesting what you just said. I think we've all spent a little bit of time well I have anyway learning Ito Portel method and uh, playing on the ground, doing the Capoeira style spins on the ground. That was so fun, I loved it, right? Um, however, you are specializing there. You're specializing in groundwork. Um, there was a price to pay. I, I did get a little bit injured doing that, shoulders, you know, catching yourself. I, I came from a lifting background where I was making myself super stiff, so going straight there was a mistake. Mm-hmm. Um, we're kind of the middle ground, I would say. Most of what we do, like it's gate mechanics and You know, I I can do complex motions on my feet though. When I get to the ground, it's a lot more simple, okay? Because I'm not that hyper-specialized there. I don't wanna be hyper-specialized at spinning and on my head or, you know, doing complex motions on the ground. I don't need to do that. However, I see the value in ground work, okay? I want my specialization to be more on the feet because I'm on the feet 95% of the time. Okay, so I'd say that's the difference between the specialization that Edo Portal shows and where we're going or where I'm going with the my movement.
0: I think what we're doing is specializing in what the human body is naturally specialized to do. Right. Ultimately, that's that's what that's what our movement practice is trying to align to is what what is the human body specialized to do? Orient our training around that. You know, stand, walk, run, throw—like the FP Big Four that Naughty talks about. That—that's like a—you yeah. know—biologically, there's there's theories that we, you know, human beings evolved uh, to th- like we are unique to other apes. In our capacity to throw our shoulder mechanics are different from from other apes in that we can we can throw things and and the fact that we could throw things made us extremely good hunter-gatherers and that was a basis for for human evolution right and, and so part of human biomechanics is the ability to throw versus maybe the ability to brachiate like swinging from a tree and stuff like we don't have that we do have some brachiation function we've talked about this in other episodes we have some brachiation function in our shoulders but compared to the mechanics of throwing we're, our shoulders are more specialized to throw than they are to brachiate, um, and we're we're more specialized to run and walk than we are to throw. So you know, in terms of pri- like we're we're ordering in terms of priority. Edo um, Portell's real philosophy, like even though a lot of the stuff outwardly is the capoeira, it's the groundwork, like. I worked with a needle portel um, practitioner, and we talked at length about the actual philosophy behind it. You're not supposed to specialize in it. Like, if you end up specializing in capoeira, you end up specializing in the groundwork. Then you're not really in the spirit of a movement practice. You're you're too generalized. And for them, it was like trying to avoid generalization at all possible costs. It was like you wanna you wanna spend a lot of time hanging. You wanna spend a lot of time on your hands. You wanna spend a lot of time, uh, you know, moving around and having like the elasticity and, and doing everything it's it's generalization, but the thing is like, when you generalize that much there, you, you still have to end up prioritizing things to a degree, right? So you, you do end up taking, even if you're doing, uh, you know, you're periodizing your movement practice where it's like, okay, for three months, I'm gonna practice hand balancing, for three months, I'm gonna practice brachiation, for three months, I'm going to, you know, hyper focus in on my my capoeira or my Florio training then you end up you know you're you're still specializing in in aspects so that you can be a movement generalist as defined by the movement culture we're prioritizing in terms of like what the body prioritizes again it's that alignment to nature as opposed to creating a diverse range of movements that you think you should be able to do based on you know like a, a social perception or a tribal perception established by the movement culture
1: well i do want to be a generalist as well, right? But sticking to the foundations of being on your feet for the vast majority of the time, I want to be able to be 80% of the way there to be able to do any activity. So I want to be able to keep up with a, you know, a trail runner, a high level trail runner. I may not be able to beat them, but I can keep up. Uh, somebody who can, like a boxer, a really good boxer, I should be able to keep up. However, I'm not going to be the best boxer in the world. Same with a a sprinter. I'm going to be able to keep up, but probably won't be the fastest sprinter. But I'm able to do all these things because I have the base for it. And that's what I'm going for, okay? Um, If I want to hyper-specialize in something temporarily, I can practice that. However, I never want to get into something so much that I'm taking away from the foundations.
0: One of the uh Gota coaches bam made a really cool analogy of movement and nutrition where someone was like oh well, is you know is it really good for you to be spending all that time on your hands if you're talking about goda and like it's like you know the way i look at it is if you eat a bit of junk food when you're eating 95 percent of the time you're eating you know really good foods healthy foods uh you know eating a chocolate bar is not going to kill you but if you're eating mostly chocolate and donuts and stuff you're going to give yourself diabetes and make yourself obese in the same way, it's like I mean, Bam is doing mostly to movements and he's prioritizing his his natural mechanics and he's doing the groundwork and he's doing he's training Gota 95% of the time, but he also has you know, he gets enjoyment out of doing handstands and some gymnastic stuff and some stuff that's maybe putting him in the front chain or whatever. It's it's the the level of priority. It, and, and it's like the 80-20 thing. If 80% of the time you're doing things that are respecting your biomechanics and 20% of the time you're investing, you know, a little bit of specialized training in something else, but you're still, the way that you train other than that is specifically honoring your biomechanics and keeping you loose and limber and, and decompressed, then you're not going to do the same level of damage than if you were just doing, you know, maybe like hard gymnastics training or deadlifting all the time.
1: Absolutely. If I see a gymnastics, you know, if I go to Venice beach or something like that, and I see a playground, like I I used to have so much fun going where, you know, you can swing off swings, bars, uh, rings, all that stuff is there for you to play with. It's like, I should be able to do that, have some fun, do some gymnastics and go back to the principles afterwards for recovery and the general basis of my training.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, and I think that's, you know, with, with the art of move because movement is like, it's everything. It's what we do is like living in a body. We just have to move. We're naturally moving. Like I think what we're trying to do is we're establishing the truth of biomechanics and how the body is meant to move, which ultimately the more you align to that, the more freedom you have to explore movements in a way that's not going to hurt you. And you can, it, it's basically, we're creating a template, for people to expand out of. If you make that your template, then then expanding out in terms of movement complexity over time is, is gonna be a lot easier. It's gonna cause less tissue degeneration and you're just gonna, you know, you're gonna enjoy having a healthy body for a longer period of time. And on that note, guys, I'd love to wrap up this episode just to recap everything that we kind of talked about. Well, I can't because we went everywhere today. It was really, really fun. We talked about the spinal engine. We talked about fluidity of movement. We talked about, uh, you know, generalizing your movement practice and, and trying to align to nature. We kind of went a little philosophical. What was your favorite thing that we talked about today? For those who are listening, I would love Ooh. to know.
1: Um, yeah, for me it was, I, I love the Spinal Engine, right? Like there's not yeah. enough info on this. And I, I probably have the largest collection of Spinal Info or Spinal Engine Info on the internet and I hardly have any, you know what I mean? My three <laughs> yeah. Instagram posts and what we've done here. And other than Serge Greg Akefsky himself, which by the way, that's who created or discovered Spinal Engine and and coined that term, that's who to look for, Serge Greg Akefsky. He has a great couple lectures on YouTube, a book that is so expensive, it's it's like a couple hundred bucks. So try to find his lecture, which you can uh, find and and get it photocopied from one of the, I can't remember what site it is, but, I have a spinal engine Uh it's basically the slides from his lecture on YouTube going oh, in cool. a little bit more in depth. Okay. So Serge Greg Kiekevsky is who to look for there. Philip beach has a little bit on spinal engine uh, check my Instagram for my earlier Instagram TV stories. I'll probably post another couple on this and uh born to walk is a good book by James Earls.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, we should make a, we should make an art of move website so that we can have, uh, you know, resources outside of the podcast. Um, we will also include some of the the reading suggestions in the description of this episode. Um, if you guys want to hear more, you can follow and you want to ask specific questions. You want to have, you want to hear episodes on specific topics. Uh, you can follow me at the body moves on Instagram and will at the art of move on Instagram. Um, you can also, Yeah, message us on there. You can also email me at media at nofilter.net. And then, you know, this is supposed to be an open forum of conversation. We've had a few guests on or we've talked a little bit and we'd love to get more people on. You can actually use the knock button on No Filter to request to join the stream yourself and join in on the conversation. So if you're listening to this podcast and you want to be on the podcast, you want to be part of the discussion, please join us. And uh, and come check out what we have to say and 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 contribute to what we're saying because this is you know we don't want to become an echo chamber of just Will and I talking about the same ideas over and over even though we're constantly trying to learn from other people, constantly reading new material, constantly checking out other ideas. Um, Actually having discussion, I I find is the most rapid way for us to expand our consciousness. So if you ever want to join on and and participate in the discussion yourself, feel free to do that. And we're going to invite more guests on in the future. Thank you for listening, guys. This was episode 27 of the Art of Move podcast. Leave us a review if you liked us and uh, subscribe on Spotify. And you can check out our next live episode on nofilter.net if you wanna see this live in action and participate yourself. Thanks for listening, guys.
1: Thanks, movement is the medicine. Have a good one, guys.